This morning, take your Bibles and turn to John 15. We're going to be there this morning. Uh, John 15. You know, every New Year's Day is a day of reflection. We think about what we've accomplished or didn't accomplish in the previous year, and we look forward to what we hope to accomplish in the current year. But any time that we look forward, we have to deal with uncertainty. And any time we deal with uncertainty, uh, you can bet that uncertainty will bring its friend along, and its friend's name is fear. Why do we experience fear when we look to the future? Well, it's really pretty simple, actually. We are afraid because we demand certainty in an uncertain world. And so what I want to do this morning is help us think through that and how we can experience God's presence. I remember many years ago when I was um, an accountant, I had to accompany a sales manager uh, to a, to a uh, a company that was very upset with us. I was, I was in insurance at the time and, and he had to give a speech in front of about 200 very irate employees that were mad about their insurance plan. And I was so amazed at how eloquently he responded, how sure he was of himself, how friendly and humble he came across. And so it went really well, and, and we got, we got uh, through with the meeting, and we went to eat lunch, and I just asked him, his name was Jim, his first name was Jim, and I said, Jim, how, how do you do that? Do you not get butterflies when you speak to a crowd? And he said, sure, I get butterflies, but I've taught them how to fly in formation. <laughs> and so what I hope to do this morning is help you learn to teach your butterflies to fly in formation. Uh, I'm going to show you that with God's presence comes God's power, and with God's power, you are prepared to conquer your fear. And by the end of the message, I want you to be like uh, little David when he faced Goliath. If you'll recall, uh, in 1 Samuel 17, we see that story, but there's a verse that's often overlooked. There's an emphasis there I want to point out to you today. Uh, in chapter 1, I mean, in chapter 17, verse 48, we, it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Here's what it says. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, here's my favorite line, David ran quickly toward the battle, the battle line to meet the Philistine. Was David afraid? Sure. How do I know he was afraid? How many stones did he take? Five. But did he move forward? Yes. He took action. You know why? Because he knew God was with him. And I want you to be thinking about as we go through this passage today, can you run quickly towards your fear? I'm going to teach you three steps you can take that will help you do that. Now, this brings us to this morning's passage. Now, I want you to be able to see how the theme of fear can be seen in this section of Scripture. John 15, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 25. Um, let me go ahead and read it. Now, um, I'm not going to ask you to stand, and simply because I can look at many of your faces, and some of you all spent all day in front of the television set yesterday, late into the evening, 
learning once again that the Big Ten is vastly overrated. So you sit, I'll read, because it's a long passage, and I want to get us out of here by 2 o'clock. I promised the pastors we'd be home by 2. Beginning in chapter 15, verse 1, and then I'll come back and tie this in. Um, (laughs) I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one uh, than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that uh, your love, uh, you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have, uh, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now that they have seen and hated both me and my father, uh, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, you know, you've told us nearly 300 300 times in, in the scriptures not to be afraid. Uh, Father, we ask that you help us overcome our fears through you. Use this passage today to help us see that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, now what I want to talk to you about a little bit is how in the world, when we're talking about this vine and the branches and the body and the fruit and all this stuff, where do we get this idea of fear? Well, if you'll take a look, you don't have to, but just, just take my word for it. John 14, 27 uh, Jesus tells us to something. Now, let's, let's set the context real quick. Jesus is in the upper room. It's the night before the crucifixion. 
He's talking to them. They're having, he's, he washes their feet, the whole nine yards there. He starts teaching to them. And then he says, come on, let's get up and leave from this place. So somewhere between uh, chapter 13 there and chapter 17, where we find him in the garden and he's praying to the father, this is, this is the, the context that this is happening. And so at the beginning there in 1427, we, he says this, um, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So that's, look, think of this as a pair of bookends. So we got that on the front end. And on the back end, in 1633, many of you know this passage by heart. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So what we understand is if you look at these two bookends, we need to interpret what's going on in the middle what we see there and what we see there is these guys are afraid because just like we are taking a new page we're turning a chapter it's a new chapter in our lives and that chapter has not been written yet and so we're looking ahead to the future and we're afraid every one of us are if you're not you're in denial we're afraid because we don't know remember we demand certain in an uncertain world so so Jesus knows that we're afraid he knows they're afraid and he's going to give them some words of encouragement here on how to deal and how to overcome and how to conquer their fear so the first part I want to talk about is if we're going to conquer fear in the new year we must stay connected and clean verses 1 through 11 we see now, uh, let's begin by examining sort of the role of what's being said here. I'm the true vine and my father's the vine dresser and every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away and, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. We see here that Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Now, what you've got to understand is in the Old Testament, Israel likened itself to vines. They were the chosen vines. And Jesus is saying, there's one vine. Not a bunch of them, there's one, and that vine is me. And so he's letting them know right then and there, this is the role. I'm the vine, God the Father is the vine dresser. In other words, he's over the entire vineyard. He's taking care of it all. And then the disciples then were to see themselves as branches that were connected to the vine. And so he's saying, look, Jesus is basically looking at him and saying, look, you have one primary job abide in me. And abiding simply means stick around or stay connected to. If we are to abide or stay connected to Jesus, what happens is, is as we do that, he fills us with his word. And as his word fills us, it interacts with the spirit and it cleans us and produces fruit. What does fruit mean here? Well, fruit is the outward manifestation of a life lived for God's intended purpose. Hear that real carefully. Fruit is the outward manifestation of a life lived for God's intended purpose. Well, what if you don't bear fruit? Well, if there's, the, the passage pretty clearly tells us if there's no evidence of fruit, we probably aren't genuine believers. And if we aren't genuine believers, we are not fulfilling the purpose of being in the vineyard. And if we're not fulfilling the purpose of being in the vineyard, the vineyard owner will take us out of the vineyard so that the true vines will have more room to flourish and grow. As we look at this part of the message, we see the results of this fruit bearing both for God and ourselves. When we bear fruit, and I'll get into that more in a little bit. When we bear fruit, God is glorified. And here's the kicker. We are filled with joy. So we've got to remember, 
Jesus is about to leave them. He knows that they are scared. And he says, look, if you want to overcome the fear, you must stay connected to me. If you do, you will have the power to conquer your fear. But it all starts with sticking next to Jesus. It's it's almost as though Jesus looks at him and says, look, stick to me. I'll give you the tools you need to overcome your fear. Because I'm going to give you myself. If you will listen to me and take my words into your heart and obey me, you will accomplish the mission I have for you. It's really difficult though to be parallel. And I want you to think about this. If you've been given a mission, like run quickly and go get somebody from EMS, something like that. Think about that. I'm not saying that. That's don't want to yell like fire in a crowded auditorium. But, but if we said, go, think about what goes on in your mind. You immediately go find the EMS person, do you not? And I mean, you run, you don't walk. And so everything beside you vanishes and you move forward to get the EMS person to, to take care of this medical emergency. Let's say that would be an example. And so, so that's what he's saying uh, is that, that it's difficult to be paralyzed with fear when you're focused on fulfilling your missions. Everybody get that? You don't have time to be worried and nervous if you're too busy focused on fulfilling your mission. And by the way, I want to make a quick, I'm not even gonna make an apology. I'm just gonna tell you up front. This is gonna sound like a military history course here in a minute because I was thinking about the things that scare you the most and a lot of them have to do with military stuff. So just, just bear with me here because it's really quite interesting if you're into that kind of thing. And if you're not, sorry, I'll pray for you. Um, I recently read a book called uh, No Easy Day. Some of y'all may have heard of it. The, the book gives readers the inside story of the mission uh, that was undertaken by the Navy SEALs to take down Osama bin Laden. Uh, the book then led me to a, an old 60 Minutes interview where Scott Pelley actually interviews uh, the gentleman that wrote the book who was actually there. In the, he was the actual SEAL that shot bin Laden, uh, one of the SEALs that shot bin Laden. Um, and as I watched the interview, and it was about a 40-minute interview, you can watch it on YouTube, I, I, I was really... Uh, impressed by several things. You know, we often get this, this picture, uh, Breck and I were talking about this the other day, we often get this picture of like people like Navy SEALs of being these superhuman uh, Marvel comic type, all muscled up guys. And this guy did not have some ripped physique like you would find in Hollywood or on the stage right now. <laughs> it, was, it was more of, of just a average looking ordinary guy in his mid-30s, there was really nothing special about him as he was sitting there telling his story to the 60 Minutes interviewer. Um, but as he began to tell the story, he, have you ever listened to somebody that had immediate street cred with you? I mean, like you're listening and it's like, oh my goodness, this guy's been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And he's, he's telling the story of what happened. And I kept thinking to myself, I would have been absolutely terrified. Now, this individual... Uh, this individual uh, that's telling the story that wrote the book, he actually was on the chopper that crashed. And so he's walking through the events that happened that night. Um, and and he, he really, he could take you literally through every door they had to go through and every, everything that unfolded. And, and what really got me was how every contingency had been thought through. There were no surprises, even when things didn't go according to plan. It's they simply kept moving, communicating, 
and shooting to accomplish their mission. And he, he's recalling the story just like you and I talking with each other right now. And one of the things that got me was I couldn't imagine operating at an optimal level under that kind of situation, pressure on you that way. But what, 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 what came to me, and it, this is where I'm tying it back into our message, is this guy had been given a plan. And he had total faith in the plan. But most importantly, he had total faith in the planner. One of the chief people, I think it's Zero Dark 430 or something. It's one of the movies about it. Uh, he mentions the lady that was in the CIA that did a lot of the brain, story, brain architecture of the plan. And he said everything she told him was exactly the way it was supposed to be when he went on that mission. And so he had faith in both the plan and the planner. And his faith, though, was an active faith because he practiced the plan until it became second nature. And when the bullets started flying, he executed the plan beautifully. Well, what about you? We've been given a plan by the planner. Do you know the plan? If you do, do you trust the plan? More importantly, as we look into 2023, do you trust the planner? You see, if you trust the plan, you will become a fanatic about practicing it. In this case, and this is a good case, fanaticism here narrows your focus and a narrow focus reduces your fear. If you want to conquer your fear in the new year, you will need to narrow your focus by abiding in Christ and obeying him. That is the plan. Practice it until it becomes second nature and you'll find that your fear will give way to joy. So we've seen that if we want to conquer our fear in the new year, we must stay connected and clean as individuals. However, that's not all. We must recognize that we are just like the Navy SEAL I mentioned. We're part of a team, ladies and gentlemen. And that brings me to my next point. If we are to conquer fear in the new year, we must stay close and committed to one another. We see this in verses 12 through 17, where he talks about, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the name of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that, your love, uh, so that you will love one another. So in this first part of this uh, of the passage, Jesus discussed staying connected to him. In this part, we're going to see the importance of sticking close to one another. Uh, one of the greatest fears or one of the greatest uh, problems with fear is the selfishness, uh, the selfish nature of it, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, in this, this part of the passage, he really emphasizes sticking together with one another. I'm reminded uh, of how fear can um, reveal character flaws pretty quickly. Okay, fear 
can reveal character flaws pretty quickly. I'm always, this is so bad. When you get so old like me, how old are you? Too old. When you get older and you start in counseling, for instance, and you start using illustrations from sitcoms and they look at you and they say, who's Seinfeld? It really bothers me. But, but I never will forget, way back in the day when Seinfeld was on, I used to, I, I would go to school at night. I actually had Charles Ryrie for one of my classes. And I used to pray he'd let us out early because I had Thursday night class. And I'd get home and Brendan, and this was before kids, Brendan and I could watch Seinfeld. And it was bad because it was eight o'clock central time, Kevin. So I had to get home. Um, and so, so uh, I remember one of the episodes where one of my favorite characters, George Costanza, y'all remember George? Great individual, wasn't he? He was at a child's birthday party and someone yelled fire. George knocked over every kid in getting out of the room. Fear will reveal our character flaws very, very quickly. So here Jesus though gives us some encouragement uh, as we work to overcome our fear. He tells us to love one another as he has loved us. This means that we are to sacrifice ourselves for the good of those close to us. In effect, he's saying, look, I'm going to die for you. And as a result, I want you to live for me. Now, we don't do this by ourselves. Uh, We do it as part of a team. And how we live for him is by bearing fruit through obedience and loving one another. Now, I wanna get into the specifics here of bearing fruit. What exactly does it mean in this context? Well, bearing fruit does mean evangelism and witnessing. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. In this context, bearing fruit is the outcome of being connected to the vine. So as Jesus's life and way of thinking and behaving flows through him uh, and into you, you start to look more and more like Jesus in your thinking and your feeling and your doing. And so, When you do this, then you will glorify God because you're walking around reflecting the glory of God to other people. And so that's one of the way, that's that's what it means when he's talking about bearing fruit here. Now, one of the things I want to talk about though is that this concept though of, of, remember that the lost world's looking at us, ladies and gentlemen. They're looking at how we get along or don't get along. And the mark of the Christian in John 13, we learn, is to love one another. And so one of the reasons is not just to show that to the outside world, but it's also to to receive the support and encouragement we need as we fight through this battle because we're all afraid. Everybody's scared. Some of my reading, I I wanted to see the other side of an issue. And uh, I, uh, I picked up a book and recently finished it, and it's called The Germans in Normandy. And what's interesting about it, this ties into fear, is um, it gives you a German perspective of the the D-Day landings, spoken through German soldiers that were there at the time. And there was a soldier by the name of of Heinrich Severlo. And Severlo uh, tells the experience as he watched the Americans coming ashore on that June day. And, and, and the, way he, the way he talks about it is, is that they kept coming wave after wave after wave. When it was all said and done, he was in a machine gun nest and every, he focused on when the, the door for the landing craft would come down and that's where he would aim. Yet they still kept coming. 
Now, does it ever dawn to you that a reasonably logical person would probably be a little bit afraid and timid at that moment? How do we explain what drove those men forward? They were not, they were not saying, time out, okay? They kept coming and they kept coming. They came so much that Sevalo barely escaped being overrun by the Americans. When it was all said and done, in his machine gun nest, there were 8,000 spent shells. He had to stop using his machine gun because the barrel was about to melt down and use his carbine and they still kept coming and they kept coming and they kept coming. And so what I wondered was, what is it do you think gave those men the courage they needed to keep coming? I don't think it was time to be talking about, you know, apple pie, you know, and all this kind of stuff and mom and baseball and all this kind of stuff. I think it was their love for their fellow brother that was beside them. There was a mission to be accomplished. It had to get done. It was important. They believed in the plan and they kept moving forward. Fear only wins when you're paralyzed, ladies and gentlemen. And so what I want you to see is when you are afraid, you've got to move. I'll give you some thoughts on that in a few minutes, but that's the thing. Uh, when you're afraid, you've got to move. You know, as you think about that scene, let's look at where we've kind of been. We're talking about fear. Well, we've seen that if we're going to conquer fear in the new year, we must stay close and uh, connected and clean to Je- connected to and clean through Jesus. We also learned that we must stay close and committed to each other and our mission. Now, if we're going to look, now we're going to look at the last thing we need to do. If we're going to conquer fear in the new year, we must step calmly and carefully. In verse uh, verse 18 through 25, we see this. If the world hates you, know that it was hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now They have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I did not, uh, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, uh, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. In this section, uh, Jesus lets the disciples know what they're up against. He warns them that they will suffer because of their association with him. Uh, Jesus breaks down things pretty simply. He says, look, there are two sides in this war. Uh, There's the church and there's the world. And the world hates the church because the world hates Jesus. And since Jesus represents God the Father, they ultimately hate him as well. And Jesus is, is, is pretty honest here. He's basically saying, folks, buckle up. Uh, life on this side of heaven is going to be a bumpy ride. He then closes the passage by alluding to Psalm 69, 4, in which it's a psalm in which Jesus, it talks about the Messiah. So Jesus is validating both himself and his mission before the disciples. Uh, 
This part of the passage is so relevant for us today about the world hating us. Would you say that over the last few years, life's been a pretty bumpy ride for Christians? I would argue that there's not a person within the sound of my voice who hasn't been tempted to fall in line with political correctness in order to uh, avoid persecution. Um, Speaking basic truths, truths that cohere with reality can lead to job loss, public shaming on social media, or the loss of other opportunities. The world says, if you want to succeed, you better be preaching our gospel. Well, remember, their gospel is not the same thing as the biblical gospel. Um, This is not the idea of live and let live. It's about see it our way or we will hurt you. Our culture has fallen into what uh, social psychologists call groupthink. There are certain subjects that uh, you're, you're, you're supposed to look at or believe about a certain way. And if you refuse to step in line with the current narrative, you will feel pain until you do. So this is as relevant to us as it was to this day. If they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. And if they don't hate you, you got to ask yourself, am I doing something wrong? Because the world hates Jesus, hates God, and hates the church. Chuck Swindoll uh, puts our current situation this way. He writes this, while victory is assured, the followers of Jesus are soldiers in a great conflict between two realms, uh, the kingdom of God and the world system ruled by Satan, uh, the forces of light and darkness. The world represents the fallen world system and operates according to Satan's values and is subject to the curse of sin. Uh, The world also represents uh, the portion of humanity that lives by this system's values and willingly serves its ends. Jesus originally came to redeem the world but he was rejected by the world and therefore he began to separate his own from the world. His crucifixion would formally declare the dividing line between the kingdoms of God and Satan and his resurrection would demand a choice from each individual. The world either loves or hates. There is no neutral ground. He finishes up by saying the world loves or hates depending upon whether one is in agreement with you or not. And the fruit of hatred is persecution. Jesus promised his closest followers uh, that persecution would be their reward in the world. Well, the truth is we have to decide in our hearts how we will navigate our way through the world so as to accomplish the mission God has called out for us. The world is a, field fill, a world filled with landmines seeking to destroy us. We must step calmly and carefully through it to obtain our objective. This mission can be scary, but we aren't in it alone. We have each other, and most importantly, we have Jesus leading the way. Now, the question is, Are you willing to follow him? So what have we learned? Well, we've learned first, if we want to conquer fear in the new year, that we've got to stay connected to and clean through Jesus. We've also learned that we've got to stay close and committed to each other. And third, we've learned that we need to step calmly and carefully in the world. Now, as I was thinking about how to best apply these lessons, The best real life example I could think of was the story of arguably the greatest hero, war hero this state has ever produced. And it was a man from Fentress County by the name of Alvin C. York, a dedicated Medal of Honor winner from the First World War. And Alvin York provides a model of fear under fire that teaches us how to bear fruit that remains. 
me tell you a little bit of the story, a little bit of the background of York. Uh, he was born in 1887 in Fentress County, which is about an hour and 45 minutes from here. Uh, he, um, he was uh, a ruffian as he grew up. He grew up a, a poor farmer. And uh, as a young man, he would frequent bars and, and spend a lot of time drinking and fighting and getting in trouble. And uh, one day as a young man, uh, his best friend at the time was, was killed in one of these brawls. And it really, can, it really shook him up. He, um, he, he, he felt convicted that he had to change his life. And with the help of a, of a local minister, uh, he, he became, he became a, a, a devout Christian. Now, I ask about this. Uh, I saw the movie. Many of you have seen the Gary Cooper movie played by Al, uh, play, uh, called Al Sergeant York. I ask about this, and um, I actually used to work with one of his great nephews. And I said, you know, in the movie, it portrays him. He's riding along in a thunderstorm and lightning strikes, and he walks into church, and oh, he believes Jesus. And I said, did that happen? And he said, well, no. He said, however, he said his conversion was that dramatic. He said it truly wasn't. What he didn't tell me was the fact that his best friend had been killed. And so I, I, I want you to see that because I, I want to share, uh, share this with you because this is really, really an interesting story as we're going to get to the fear thing in a moment. So he becomes a Christian and as a, he belonged to a very conservative Christian uh, denomination that believe, did not believe in fighting in war. And so he was drafted. And as he was drafted, he, uh, he tried to assert conscientious objector status and it was rejected a couple times. He goes and then he says, okay. So he goes and he gets, he goes to training and uh, he has several conversations with his superior officer about the biblical correctness of, of, of being, a, being a warrior, so to speak. And, and the, the commanding officer happened to be a Christian also. And he literally helped York see that in certain circumstances, it's perfectly fine to be a soldier. And so York went on a 10 day, he was given 10 days of leave and he went home and he went up on a mountainside uh, near his home there and he prayed to the Lord. Now, here's what's beautiful about this. I'm gonna read you something from his diary. Now, what you're gonna see is authenticity of an uneducated country boy from the mountains of East Tennessee. As he's thinking through this, he kept it in his diary. So I went on the mountainside and asked him sort of straight from the shoulder. I went off to a quiet place not far from my home and I knelt down and I prayed and I prayed all the afternoon through the night and through the part of the next day. I asked him to have pity on me and show me the light. I begged him to comfort me if it was his will and tell me what to do. And as I prayed, there alone a great peace kinder came into my soul and a great calm come over me and I received my assurance. He heard my prayer and he come to me on the mountainside. I didn't see him, of course, but there, he was there just the same. I know that he was there. He understood that I didn't want to be a fighter or a killing man, that I didn't want to go to war and hurt nobody know how. And yet I wanted to do what my country wanted me to do. I wanted to serve God in my country too. He understood all of this. He seed right inside of me and he knowed I had been troubled and worried, not because I was afraid, but because I put him first, even before my country. And I only wanted to do that which would please him. So he took pity on me and gave me the assurance I needed. 
I didn't understand everything. I didn't understand how he could let me go to war and even kill and yet not hold it against me. I didn't even want to understand. It was his will and it was, that was enough for me. So at last I begun to see the light. I begun to understand and that no matter what a man is forced to do, so long as he's right in his own soul, he remains a righteous man. I knowed I would go to war. I knowed I would be protected from all harm and that so long as I believed in him, he would not allow even a hair on my head to be harmed. I arose and thanked him and went home over the mountaintops singing a hymn. Fast forward, October 8th, 1918, in France, the Argonne Forest. If you've seen the movie, The Lost Battalion with Ricky Schroeder, uh, there was a battalion of Americans that had gotten separated from the rest of the forces and they were cut off and surrounded by the Germans. I did not know this at the time, but York was in the 82nd Infantry, which is now called the 82nd Airborne. They weren't airborne then because they, they didn't have paratroopers in World War I. But he was part of the offensive to go save that battalion. That's how it all got started. In that morning, uh, he uh, was sent on patrol because there were, some, there were some machine guns, machine gun nests, German machine gun nests, and his commanding officer asked him to go take his patrol and go take care of that. Well, they got lost in the woods. There was only 17 of them. They get lost in the woods, and uh, all of a sudden they, they see these two German orderlies, and the Germans see them, and they're, they're, they're scared of each other, and the Germans take off running. And when they run, they run. They jump over a creek, the 17 guys in York's patrol, and all of a sudden they're standing right in the middle of a machine gun regiment's headquarters. The Germans were eating breakfast. Some of them didn't even have their shirts on yet. And all of a sudden, these 17 Americans are standing there and they're looking at each other. That must have been an awkward moment, don't you think? Well, all of a sudden, uh, they didn't know how many Americans were there. It was just one small patrol. So, so they were taking them in as prison. They all they put their hands up because they were, they, you got the drop on me. Well, all of a sudden, in German, the command, get down, comes out. All the Germans hit the ground. At that moment, six people in the American patrol were killed immediately. Two on this side of York, two on this side of York, two behind York. Three others were grievously wounded. And it, they couldn't figure out where the machine gun was coming from. They looked up and there was, a, there, was, there was a hill about 25 yards away. And at the top of that hill, there were some machine guns. And York dug down. And when he looked over, one of the guys that had been shot was his best friend uh, that he had in the service. And the thing that really made me sad was he missed the guy. Later in his, in his diary, he's reflecting on the fact that he wouldn't be able to read his Bible with this guy and pray with him anymore. They were both committed Christians. The guy was shot up so bad his shirt came off. That's how bad they shot him up. And at that moment, York decided this is enough. Now remember, God's already told him in his head, I'm, I'm gonna be okay. So what York did was every time the Germans would look up to try to find where he was at, they had to lift their head up. And York learned as a turkey hunter in Tennessee, you can't shoot him in the breast because then you'd be spitting out lead, right? So every time a German head would pop up, he would shoot it. He shot 20 Germans. At this point, at this point, there's six of them in this one, one machine gun nest and the, the officer there decides he's had enough. So they all fixed bayonets and from 20 yards away, they come down a hill charging at Alvin York. Now I want you to understand something. I measured this off the other day. 20 yards away is no further than this end of the stage 
to right over there. I want you to think about what this must have been like. Do you think he was scared? Let me make it even more fun. This is one of those Hollywood uh, plot conveniences. He looks in his rifle. He's only got two shells in his rifle. and He's got six guys coming at him. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, I sort of subscribe in that situation. I subscribe to the theory, when in trouble, when in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. <laughs> he did not. He did not. He calmly sets his rifle down. He takes out his revolver. It's got a clip in it with seven shells. Six Germans coming at him from 20 yards, full speed, running after him, bayonets drawn. He learned something as a turkey hunter. Always shoot the turkey in the back. Not in the back, but like the one, if they're flying in formation, shoot the one in the back, because if you shoot the one in the back, the ones in the front don't know that he's been dropped. If you shoot the one in the front, they'll all scatter. He's only got seven shells. What does he do? He calmly shoots from the very back. He said by the time the guy in the front got to him, he couldn't have missed him because he's right in front of him. He drops him. At the end of the day, I'll make a long story painfully shorter. York and seven, uh, let's see, there's a total of 11 left. York and seven of his compadres captured 132 German soldiers. He was so humble. The, the commanding officer, when he brought him in, said, uh, looks like you captured the whole German army. No, sir, just 132. <laughs> now, why do I share that story with you? Well, I share that story because what I want you to see is that Alvin York was convinced in the plan and the planner. And when his number was called, he took action. He moved forward. And so if we're going to conquer fear in the new year, we need to take action. And so I want to give you a little acrostic here for you to look at. A stands for acknowledge your fear. Put words on it. Acknowledge your fear. C is consider why you are afraid. Consider why you are afraid. T, thank God he will help you conquer your fear. I, identify a biblical response. How would the Bible have you respond to this fear? O, obey the leading of the Spirit. In other words, respond in a Christ-like way. And in, nurture the appropriate fruit of the Spirit. Express your fear through the proper fruitful response. Remember, what doesn't get transformed gets transferred. So, when you're under fire, my prayer for you this morning is that you will be like Alvin York was and that you will move toward it because you know God is with you. Now, I don't know where you are this morning, but uh, when it comes to fear, uh, you can't escape it. Uh, we have to remember that it, we can't stop fear, but we sure can change the object of our fear. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But you, you can't fear a God that you don't know. And since that's the case, I'm going to explain it as clearly as I can. Um, how that you can know God. 
Um, Matt and the staff, come on up and let's, let's, let's play some music here. Um, the gospel is called good news for a reason. However, um, if there is to be good news, then logically there must also be bad news. I'm going to explain both of them, and let's start with the bad news first. Um, there's only one God, and He created everything. He created you, He created me, he created everything. Uh, and what He created was originally good. Now, this Creator God is also a holy God and requires absolute purity in His presence. Uh, he created us with a purpose. And that purpose was to glorify him and to serve under him and to, to rule over what he created. But you see, and here's the bad news. Each of us has rejected God's kingship by wanting to rule God's creation by ourselves and in our own power. And in doing so, we've become rebels who have broken God's law of holiness. In our quest to, to rule in God's place, we've lost control of everything, including ourselves. As such, we, we stand contaminated and condemned in his presence. Our relationship with God's been ruptured. God's wrath for our wrongdoing hovers over our heads. Uh, the Puritan pastor, Jonathan Edwards, likened our predicament to a spider hanging by a thread over an all-consuming fire. The thread of our lives will one day run out, and then we will each face the fire of God's judgment. Well, that, my friends, in a nutshell is, is the bad news, but here is the good news, and listen very carefully to this part. The same holy God who created you and me and everything else loves us with an everlasting love. He demonstrated his love for us and offered a way to heal this rupture and be reconciled to him. He fixed our problem by sending his son, the man Jesus Christ, into the world. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live. He always obeyed God's perfect law. And he took upon himself the punishment that we earn through our rebellious acts of rejecting God by dying on the cross to satisfy God's wrath. God then validated Jesus' message by raising him from the dead. The resurrection showed that, that God had accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf and exhausted his wrath against us. So in Christ, God isn't mad anymore. But the question becomes, how do you become in Christ? Well, C.S. Lewis said that you become in Christ by laying down your arms. You stop being a rebel. You turn back to God and you place your trust in Christ and Christ alone. The Bible calls this turning repentance and it calls this trusting faith. So if we turn and trust or repent and believe, we shall be saved into a new life, a life that's eternal with God. And I'd like to ask you to all stand. And I want you to reflect on what we've learned today. I want you to see that God knows you're scared. He wants you to stay close to him. He wants you to be connected with Christ. And the first step for many of you is simply turning and trusting him. If you've never made that decision, I'm gonna pray here in a moment. And when I do, I'd ask that, that you follow the Spirit's leading. Remember, we have to take action, even when we're afraid. And I'd ask for you to move forward. We'll have pastors down here and counselors that will be willing to walk through the plan of God with you. Uh, 
Remember what I said, listen, what doesn't get transformed gets transferred. So instead of living a life with fear, why don't you live a life with bravery? Why don't you move forward, accept Christ and live for him? Um, one of the things I wanna, I wanna encourage you is I just want, I'll finish before I pray with this one passage of scripture. I want you to take this to heart. It's from Paul in Romans eight. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, he was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If you feel separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, I implore you, Come forward and make a decision today. Quit running away from fear. Run to Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.